0: You, you know, I wish I had some kind of term where I could describe something that has a neat premise and doesn't really do much with it, like a, like a Voyager effect or something similar to that, because I know how to be subtle. So this is a Prime Directive episode, naturally, and it's almost feels like a sequel to Civilization. This is also a good example of why a good idea does not necessarily, or even an intriguing idea, does not necessarily lead to an intriguing episode. And I was trying to debate why that was as I went through it. So I'm just sitting here like, okay, most of the time. I think part of why is while it had a good setup and had a good premise, and it did, the main characters were then stupid, and then they were stupid, and despite the fact that the situation was serious which is a situation where it's a lot less likely for me to mitigate the whole stupidity thing, they kept being stupid. Then they didn't do anything with it. They just kind of showed that the bad guys, and they were bad guys. I'll talk about that in a bit. Were bad guys, and now we've contaminated their people. Even the end of the episode just has a thing where they just say, like, like, Archer and Tapal I don't remember what this is called in writing, where two characters are actually saying the same bit of dialogue. It's just the writer split it up between the two of them because we, as audience members, are more likely to actually believe what they're saying if if the writer really wants the audience or the viewer the gamer, or whatever to believe what they're saying. They have two people say it, or more than two people. That way it confirms it. If one person says it, well, you know, there might be some hesitance. But if two people say it, well, now it's corroborated, right? But if you pay attention to what T'Pol and Archer do, they, that's what they're doing. They're just saying, contamination's bad, and what we've done is we've ruined those people, and blah, blah, blah. Now, you're probably thinking, but Laura, they did. Yeah, because they were stupid. And this is my problem with this episode in one neat nutshell. I know, I said I'd start talking about the episode first, but I need to get this off my chest. Because this episode is badly constructed. They want They had a point A, the premise. And they had a point B which is the moralizing, which, you know, they screwed up and they, they, you know, caused, uh, God, I can't remember the word they used, they infected, what word did they use? God, I can't think of it all of a sudden. Interfered. We'll go with interfered with the culture of these people. And they looked at these two points and they said, okay. And they didn't construct a smooth distance in between these two things. I've talked about this concept many times. In fact, most people probably refer to this as because plot. We need to be here. We are here. So because plot, plong. And what happens doesn't really follow a logical sequence of events, in my opinion. Reed forgetting his communicator, honestly, I don't think that's actually what happened. I don't think the episode ever really clarifies, but... Near as I can tell, he was probably pickpocketed or someone detected him and was trying to scan him because they've got that whole, you know, they're the bad guys, so they're probably paranoiac enough to do that. And then they took it off as a trap for when people would come back for it. Okay, I'm with that. I'm with that. Um, we do see that they're a bit more organized than they were back in Civilization. They talk about the political rally. They talk about Churchill. They forgot their communicator. It's been a long road getting from there to here. And that leads us to Reed feeling absolutely terrible, because of course he would. So naturally, this is a very serious, very dangerous and deadly circumstance. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to ask why these things don't have some kind of remote shut-off thing. Hear me out for a second. They've already interacted with a pre-warp civilization. Back in Civilization, ironically... So you can't tell me that it never occurred to anybody, hey, can we hook up some of our gear with like a remote button so we can just detonate it from orbit and fry it so that if, in case we accidentally leave something behind, we don't. It's like Antarctica. You go there and whatever you, you, you leave nothing, right? It's the same philosophy. Except in this case, it doesn't work quite as well because you're destroying something, but at least there will be nothing left. Like It's a worst-case scenario, right? That's exactly what it's there for. I just thought of that over the last 30 minutes, off the top of my head. And I'm an idiot. So, why didn't they think of something like this? Next point. Why aren't they scanning for this thing from orbit? You'd think anything giving off that kind of a power signature, no matter how small, would be relatively easy to see from orbit. Now, I know what you're gonna say, well wait, hang on, Lore. their scanners aren't that good. Yeah, now we're starting to see the problem with that because the quality of the scanners depends entirely upon the specific writing. In previous episodes, uh, let's say Terra Nova is a good example, they were able to accurately and correctly detect into a cave network and figure out not only where everyone was, but to specifically identify one person amongst that bundle, despite the fact that they were all human. So no species change, and through rocks, from orbit... Here, they are in orbit, looking for different species, or a different energy signature in this case, and nothing's in the way, and they can't find it. You see the inconsistency here? There is lip service paid to this, because they mentioned we can't go lower on risk being seen, but um, I call bullcrap on that. I don't know if you know this, but we have a lot of people who study the skies for a living, in real life, and we have for a long time. If these people are sufficiently paranoid and suspicious of each other to be at this level of warfare or cold warfare or whatever it is, we only get hints of it. It's one of the better parts of the episode actually is the behind-the-scenes conflict with the Alliance. Clearly they're just rebel scum. Mm-hmm. But if, 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 given what we are seeing, I find it absolutely easy and effortless to presume that these people look at the stars for a living. One of the scientists makes a comment at one point. No other planet in our system supports life. Now, he is, of course, referring to life like they are, but that still means they've already looked into the stars, to their system, just like we did centuries ago. Now, all of this is trying to to mention something. Finding a ship in orbit is unlikely, but absolutely possible, regardless of how high up it is, because there are people who study the skies for a living. But okay, let's jump through the one hoop and say that they're they are being further up means they're not detected. Except I've already broken that because that's not the thing. It's not like they're making a smaller profile. The, the amount that they would have to come down in order to show a larger profile to someone on the planet's surface would be gargantuan. They would have to be in the atmosphere, in the lower atmosphere, for that to actually really be a substantial difference. Because scale and distance... So just get closer and scan, and then find the thing, and then beep it out, and the episode's over. Ah, but that's the problem, isn't it? And that is the problem. The moment the only way the episode happens is because plot, or because stupid, you have failed as a writer. Now, I know what you're thinking. Laura, you're being really harsh about this, and I am. But not in the malicious way you're probably presuming. I feel legitimately really bad for Braga at this point in his career. I have commented several times about how he was told to churn out, paid, you know, script after script after script. Look at the script credits sometime for Enterprise, season 1 and 2. Look at the percentage. I haven't mathed it out yet. I should do that at some point. But look at the percentage of how many episodes he's written here. I know it always says Braga and Berman, but that just makes it worse, doesn't it? Imagine being told to sit down and be like, okay, we need 10 scripts, or 12 or 15, or whatever the percentage is, right? go. That's just going to burn you out. And it's really starting to show. Because, well, when you're on a deadline, when you're churning out script after script, you can have a good premise and a good end point. But getting between those, that's the tricky part. And you don't have time for that because you got six more scripts you're thinking about. Right? So this is not a good episode. But I'm not willing to tear it to shreds because, whew, As I've said many times, crunch culture is a problem for uh, the world, not just video game industry. (sighs) So, Reed goes down, they scan locally. That's extremely stupid. They could have scanned from outside. They could have hidden in a bush and scanned from there. Those those little pseudo-tricorders they have have a decent chunk of range. They could have stayed on the shuttle pod and scanned from there. No, No, we have to go and physically look and then pull out the scanner, because that's the stupidest thing we could possibly do to ensure we're caught. Then we show up, and we're told there's two people in there. Oh, that's a problem. Maybe we should wait for them to go out. We wouldn't want to get into a fight. Then they walk out, and immediately, within... I I hadn't even finished writing that sentence down. Why don't they just stun the people inside, was what I started writing. And they turn around, start walking out, and immediately get into a fistfight, which they, of course, lose. (sighs) See, the problem here is I think what the premise really should be is how serious and deadly is the wrong word, how deadly serious they should take this kind of anti-contamination thing. Again, the Antarctica thing, right? You are to leave nothing, no trace. How about examining the possibility of just stunning all the people in that bar and then getting the things and walking out, and then wrestling and muddling with that and trying to deal with that. How about the dilemma of, do we kill these people? Oh, you heard me. Now, that sounds horrific, and there's a good reason for that. But remember, they're trying to hold the the Prime Directive up as sacrosanct. And that's, of course, the dilemma, isn't it? If we leave these people alive with knowledge of us and ours, which, by the way, is exactly what they do in the episode... What we have done is contaminated, that was the word I was looking for earlier, this culture to a severe extent that we can't really undo without scalpeling things out. In point in fact, one of the things that's interesting about this episode is if it had stayed just with the local general and that little group and they hadn't you know, contacted the chancellor, it might have stayed local, maybe, if they were able to show up and take things out and deal with things. Instead, it has spread, and within a relatively short period of time, I'm sure most people will be aware of what's going on, or what happened at least, and wild speculation will ensue. There's also the uh, idea that Archer briefly brings up, which could also be posited as a solution. Why don't we just grab someone, like the General, pull him up and be like, hey, we're aliens. We're just here to hang out. We're not part of the Alliance. We're not part of you. We don't care. We were actually leaving. We just forgot a piece of equipment. And the general will be like, please give us this edge we need on the alliance, and they'll say no. And then they'll send him back. And that could of course lead to another dilemma. Because see, the benefit of having an ally is that now you have someone on the ground who's going to stay behind after you leave, who's going to be able to take the back scratcher, and scratch the back of the culture and the populace there. Stretched metaphor is stretched. Because I'm explaining this so badly. Because they know how to convince people, culturally, and in terms of just hard data, that nothing actually happened. Right? If you get rid of all the hard data, so all that's left is people talking, that's something that someone on the ground will know how to walk around, especially if they are your ally in this overall endeavor. Like the woman we left behind on civilization, who should have come with us, but whatever. Right? So have the general work in our side. Ugh, we found some alliance spies. We had to kill them and cover it up. And it's just another military cover-up at that point. Bam. But you want a dilemma. Okay. Let's say that he refuses. He says, no. No, I'm not going to just go, and go along with that. We really do need your help against the alliance. They have been doing such and such and this and that. And- You can make him righteous or evil or however you want to go with it. There's all sorts of gradients you could go with him and his faction. It almost doesn't matter. It's just which kind of message you want to send. But either way, he wants this help. We say no. He says, okay, well, I'm not going to help you either, quid pro pro. He starts to basically hold knowledge about us hostage and uses that as a bargaining chip. And now it's like, oh, God, now what do we do? General, we can't give you phase pistols, we can't give you ships, and we can't... Do... All right, I'm a reasonable man. How about you assist us on one operation? What do you want us to do? Well, there's this one place which such-and-such-and-thing-and-way. Oh, that's... Okay, so you, you want me to bomb your enemy. I'm not going to blow up... It's a military installation. There are no civilians there. You do this, and I will completely cover up any knowledge you were ever hear. And this could be an interesting dilemma in its own right, especially since the question should be asked: Do we even trust this guy at this point? I'm going to stop myself here because all I'm doing is coming up with alternate scenario upon alternate scenario upon alternate scenario. And I have had I, I have the luxury of not, you know, having someone breathing down my neck and saying, crank out ten episodes. I mean, I am during my YouTube cycles, I do five to seven episodes a day. <laughs> but I'm doing that, me. I don't have someone who is mandating this, and that is a big difference. So this is why I'm willing to give a little bit of credence, because you can see how the, the bones are there, but they're all in the wrong order, ironically. Sadly, I don't have much to say about the episode itself. They're stupid, so then they get into a brawl with soldiers in broad daylight. Uh, then Archer sucks, and then Tucker uh, has to point out how things have gone wrong, because apparently that's just too illogical. And then, uh, right, I said I'd talk about this. This is why these guys are bad guys. Because not only are they willing to torture for information by beating, which is bad... If you want to show someone is horrifically evil, you have them come in and come up with some really messed up torture technique. I'm not going to go over details. You know what I'm talking about. If you want to show that they're bad guys, you know, capital B, capital G... What you have is you have them show up and beat the prisoners. This is what you get because you're dumb. And and that shows that they are bad. They're Nazis at this point, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's the same exact thing they did with the Andorians back in uh, the Andorian incident. No, really. This is the exact same thing. We demand information. We won't give you information. Beat, beat, beat. Then we put you back in your cell with no one watching you and no one listening. They have communication devices. They have the ability to have... A bug listening in on the room. But they don't do any of that because they're bad guys. Just like the Andorians were. I actually was watching this I was like, oh my god. Because I thought the big dilemma, remember, I don't remember this episode at all. I thought the big dilemma was going to be they were just going to casually talk about space flight and all that in the the cell. And then it was going to cut to, like, the the lieutenant listening in the comm going, What? General, I think you need to get in here. But no, they are. Bad guys. So they are left unattended, they're incompetent, they're evil, they're beady. Moving on. There's this one bit where Archer uh, says, We're not part of the military. That actually made me laugh. It really did. I don't know if that was a deliberate in joke or not, but I mean, Starfleet's not a military, right? Actually, it could be argued that Starfleet is not a military at this point in, in society. So, for the first and uh, only time, I would be willing to acknowledge that yeah, Starfleet is not a military because right now, Starfleet is one NX ship and a bunch of pathetic little freighter ships. Anyways, <clears throat> it's hard to call that call that a military. It's it's like pointing to my bathtub and saying, "Check it out! Check out my fleet!" You know, it's 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 a little bit of difference there. Anyways, so. Then Archer comes up with this really dumb thing. This is hysterical. He says the ship is made of a composite alloy. I don't know if this is bad writing, or if this is Archer being terrible at lying. Given that Reed is also pretty bad of a liar, I like to think that it's Archer just being a bad liar. If you don't understand the joke, uh, a composite alloy is kind of like saying that I'm drinking a wet drink. Anywho. So they show, they show the forehead, they had to beat them up so they get the forehead and they see the red blood and now they're contaminating and... You know, they could have beamed into that cave. Did I mention that? Back in Nova They could beam into that cave and get some stun grenades. Oh, those would be awesome. Just deal with the situation, Get send in an assault team, send in some stun grenades, stun a few people, get their people, get their equipment, leave, they'd be like, oh my god, the Alliance have raided us. It's still contamination, you could still have your message. But, you know... Not the aliens part of things. So then they take the Suliban ship. I'm sorry, you guys still have the Suliban ship from Broken Bow? And it hasn't come up in the uh, 30 episodes since then where it could have been useful? I, I know, it, it, it's not every episode that to be useful, but really, they just forget this thing exists. By the way, it's Cloak still works. What? And they get the cloak working, and they take down a cloaked ship and enter and leave a cloaked ship in front of a witness. I think we've officially hit the point where you done screwed up. But again, that was the point. They wanted to have cultural contamination. That, that was clearly the narrative point here. I, which leaves me with an interesting dilemma. How do we have cultural contamination without our heroes being a moron? I gave several ideas earlier. I told myself I'd stop, and I meant it. What would you do? What would you do to start at A and end at B? Remember, the point is there has to be cultural contamination. They have to know about alien races and or about the alliance or about the super tech or about something. That has to be the end point. How would you get from point A to point B? I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. If you don't want to, that's cool. I know it's Enterprise. I've asked for a lot of rewrite comments over the years for TNG, Voyager, DS9, Babylon 5. I don't know if I'll get many of those for Enterprise. It doesn't have the popularity of the other shows, even Voyager. And I'm starting to see why. No, I'm I'm memeing. I'm memeing. I, I do think this show is definitely below average in terms of quality. I, do, I just don't think it's as bad as most people say. You know how that goes, right? I still don't like the prequel movies, but... I don't think they're the hot garbage that some people think. I have seen actually bad films. No, don't say it. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I'm talking like Plan 9, you know? I've, I've seen actually bad films. I've played Ride to Hell Retribution all the way through, for God's sakes. Oh, hyperbole. I really do try to fight against it. Unless I'm joking. In which case, I try to make it obvious. So uh, they get the cloak working. Oh yeah, Tucker gets cloaked because we need a random comedy b plot. I don't even know what to say about the fact that a cloaking effect can be put can be projected onto someone, and then just stay there over a time. Cloaking tech is already kind of nonsense, so I'm willing to just kind of let that go. What I'm not willing to let go is the fact that Flocks has to point out the incredibly obvious solution of put on a glove to be able to see where your hand is. This is Tucker. He's an engineer. He's a problem solver. So uh, so they have phasers. They find out about the phasers. Woo! And they're aliens and they demand to know about it in the Alliance. They beat it up. Um, you know, I noticed this part, my notes are almost done because I have almost nothing to say about the final two acts of the film or episode, excuse me. And that kind of bothers me a bit. The first two thirds are eh, but at least they're okay. The last third of the episode is just the fate, you know, the execution and then the big fight, and then them escaping, and it's all just kind of noise, to be honest with you. But I do have to wonder Archer's idea is not invalid to bring someone up. The the ally thing, I mentioned that earlier. Picard did that in First Contact. The the episode, not the movie. There's also the idea that Reed mentions. You know, why not just uh, go out fighting? Why not use the stun grenades? Why not do anything else? And I'll give Dominic Keating credit. What's clearly happening there is, even though he is making a straw man argument, which is whatever, the fact is he is effectively... Desperate, he he's on death's door, and he wants to do anything to prevent that from happening. So then, they reclaim their tools. At a random thought, every one of the pieces of equipment and the the scans from the from the the X-rays or whatever are all in one spot on one table. Man, that's convenient, especially since they apparently lack the ability to scan these suckers, and they're in the middle of a firefight, which they're. Well, I don't want to say they're losing, but the the way it's shot makes it look like they're losing, even though they're not. And by the end of it, only one of the enemies even left up and standing. So I, I don't actually know what to make of that. But what I do know what to make of that is I like the idea that that's because of corruption. Oh, I've got to keep this to myself. This could be my ticket, my ticket to power. Oh, imagine what I could re- I could replace the chancellor with these guns, or I could secure my position. I could become. The CNC with these guns, or something similar. So obviously you keep it all in one spot, so one person can take it, you know. So then Archer and Paul talk about how they've corrupted these people, which leads me to my follow-up question. Whose job is it to clean up this mess? You realize that a properly set-up ship with proper backing and support and equipment even in this era, could show up and try to work their way around the infu- uh, the contamination that's already happened in order to minimize its impact on these people. And since both the Vulcans and the humans seem to agree that's a good idea, that's never going to be done, obviously. Instead of the whole moralizing, we have contaminated them just by ideas, you could have had a thing by, I'm, I'm getting a hold of the, the Buglarian, and the Buglarian's going to be here in about a day and a half. They're, they're gunning it to make it here. They're going to be backed up by the Faglarian and the Timarian. They're different ships. In a within about a month's time, are they going to be able to deal with the contamination? Pause. Well, I sure hope so. They've dealt with this thing before. But no, we don't get any of that. Instead, we get what we have, which is just kind of a eh episode. I've seen worse Prime Directive episodes. This one didn't piss me off at least, so that's nice. Archer mentions being willing to die to protect the culture. You know, that would sound a lot more admirable, because Archer is right, if not for the fact that his death will almost guarantee that the culture will actually be even more screwed over, because, you know, autopsy. He mentions to Paul coming down to deal with things. They're going to hang you and then chop you up, buddy. So unless she's right there ready to go, that's not happening. (sighs) Anyways. Another eh, episode. I hope you've enjoyed, guys. I'll see you next time.